there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. I'd like to talk to you about parts. In the South, there's a saying, in the southern states that I've lived in, I've heard, parts is parts. I've never really known what that means. For some reason, I think, well, maybe it's the mechanical aspect of life. You know, well, parts is parts. Anyway, I've heard this saying, parts is parts. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, the thing about us is we do not understand our many different parts. Because we are under the illusion that we are one, we don't see that we are not one, that we are many. And that many means many different parts, that many different parts go to make up the whole. And when you don't know that, parts is parts. One part is the same as any other part. If you don't examine the parts, you're never going to understand them. And if you don't understand them, you can't understand the whole because the whole is made up of the parts. So understanding, as I've said before the past couple of weeks, understanding is the ability to relate one part to another within the whole. To understand the whole, you must be able to relate all the parts to everything in the whole and everything pertaining to the whole. So understanding is what we're going to be working on for a long time to come because we need understanding and it takes a lot of work to get the kind of understanding we need. We are mechanical, unconscious, and automatic by default. This means impressions feed the mechanical parts of us. For those people who are just tuning in and who are new to this or who may need a refresher, impressions are anything that comes in to us through the five senses, comes in as impressions. The work calls impressions food, and it says without the food of impressions, we can't live for even a second. Without physical food, we can live for days, maybe even months. Without water, we can live for less time. Without air, we can live for less time. But without impressions, we can't live at all. Now, people don't understand that as a rule. People, even today, as I tell you that, you may accept it, but I don't think you understand it because it's very difficult to understand because you have to have a big understanding to understand that. But we don't get big understanding all at once. We only get big understanding little by little. And this is the problem with understanding and knowledge. It takes all of this knowledge. You get the knowledge, but then you don't have the understanding. Why? Well, because all that knowledge that you got has to be applied. And until you apply it, you can't get understanding because you're not applying it to your being. Were we to take life with a sense of wonder or delight, impressions, would land on the emotional parts rather than mechanical part. Can you see that as a rule, you do not take the impressions or life, the impressions that fall on you in life, you do not take them with a sense of wonder or delight? That's great that you can see that. Some people cannot see that. Some people are so hypnotized, so locked into their imagination, so locked into their pride and their vanity, their imagination, their pictures of themselves, that they think they take life with delight and wonder all the time even if they only take life with delight and wonder once a week or once a day, and it's only one thing. Like, oh, my favorite television show. Oh, my favorite food. Oh, my favorite sexual position. Okay, so it would be once a month or once a year maybe with that. Uh, it's okay to be humorous, you know. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt anybody. Well, it may hurt some people. Laughing you know, might break some of your stitches. But for the rest of you, 
you know, those of you who don't have stitches and broken ribs and like that, it's not a bad thing to laugh. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to lighten up. It's okay to ease up a little bit. It's okay to let go. Your ground of being is your ground of being. Your understanding is your understanding. Your negative parts are your negative parts. That's all very real. And there's nothing you're going to do about it right now. Trust me on this. You're going to be who you are when you wake up tomorrow morning, whether you like it or not. And the fact is when you begin to observe yourself, then you begin to not like it. But that doesn't change it. And if you continue to observe yourself, you'll continue to not like it until you finally get to the point where you get tired of not liking it and you just say, yeah, that's the way it is. Now I need to get to work. And you get to work on yourself. You change what you can change. And you find out through long, gruesome, painful experience that what you can change is damned little. But even a little bit is better than nothing. And then you get to a point where you start to look at that with a sense of wonder and delight. I don't know how that happens, but it does happen. So if we were to take life with a sense of wonder and delight, impressions would land on emotional parts. But as it is, because we're automatic, they all land on mechanical parts. What does that mean? It means that we take everything the same way we always took it. How can you see a beautiful sunset? Well, you can see a beautiful sunset by looking at it with wonder and delight. How often do you do that? Once in a while. Not very often. Certainly not every sunset. Certainly not every sunrise. Certainly not every... But every time you look at a leaf on a tree, you don't go, oh, with wonder and delight, like it was the first time you were seeing it. That just illustrates how mechanical we are, how automatic we are, or how asleep and unconscious we are by default. That that is our default state. That is what we fall back to every single time. You may wake up, but by default, you will go back to sleep. So in order to be awake at all, it's going to take tremendous amounts of effort. And efforts are fueled by force. And force doesn't just fall out of the sky. You have to save force, even though, okay, force does fall out of the sky. Let's say force does fall out of the sky. Let's say force falls out of the sky like rain and it drenches all of us. But we have so many leaks that we go out there with our big bucket or a barrel to catch all this force. But we find that the barrel has no bottom and all the force goes right through and drains out on the ground and it's all gone. Or let's say we've got a bottom, but it's got 50 holes in it. And so the force maybe gets up about a quarter of an inch, but then it starts to drain out. That's it. That's as high as it ever gets. So we plug some of those holes and we find that the force gets up a half an inch, but then there are holes in the side and it drains out there and it never gets higher than that. And these holes are negative emotions. Those are the biggest holes and those are the ones that the work says, work on those first. Put a bottom in the barrel first. The only bottom I can find is I got all these holes in it. Right. But a bottom is better than no bottom at all. So put the bottom in the barrel. Then we'll work on patching those holes one at a time, maybe two at a time if you're really lucky, which you're not. So don't get your hopes up. Well, is again, everything is false personality. Now find what isn't. Because we do get our hopes up. We start immediately to live in imagination. Oh, this guy's so wonderful. Listen to what he's saying. I could do this. Rah, 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 rah. And then you can't do it. The possibility is not the actuality. And we need to observe and see the actuality, the reality of our situation. And with that, temper that negative state that will come from seeing the reality of our situation with the possibility. Temper it with that with the possibility that if we work, if we make effort, if we have right knowledge, if we have right effort, if we have valuation, there's a possibility that we could patch some of these holes and gather some more force and then someday may be able to use that force for something beneficial. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? When taken with directed attention, mental effort, these impressions go to intellectual parts. 
Now, for those of you who are listening, you're not going to get to see the little presentation I've prepared. But for those of you who can see the monitor, you can see here that I have an illustration of the intellectual center. And the first part of the intellectual center that we'll deal with is the intellectual part, the capacity for creation, construction, invention, discovery. And it works by controlled attention kept there by effort. When impressions are taken in, life impressions, any impressions, any impressions, just any life impressions, what kind of impressions? Any life impressions. The sun coming up, the sun going down, the rain, somebody giving you a dirty look, somebody parting their hair on the wrong side, somebody crossing their legs, the paint on the wall, the temperature of the room. Impressions. So when any impression comes to us, what we do by default is let it fall unconsciously on mechanical parts of us. We take it all for granted. But when taken with directed attention, you actually direct your attention to the way the person has their legs crossed, the way the person has their hair parted, the texture of the ceiling, the color of the paint, what it's like and how old it is and if it has marks on it and so on and so forth. And when mental effort is applied to keep the attention directed there, then the impressions go to intellectual parts. When the impressions go to intellectual parts, then we have the capacity for creation, construction, invention, and discovery. Well, what do we have if we don't? But just as water seeks its own level, negative impressions will go to their proper place as well. So with this intellectual part of the intellectual center, we also have a negative part of the intellectual part. Now, a negative part is mechanical. And just as water seeks its own level, negative impressions will go to their right place, to the negative parts, to the mechanical parts in us. They will go right to where they always go, like homing pigeons. No matter where you take them, you release them, and a good homing pigeon will fly around in a couple of circles. They'll all fly around, and then they'll take off. And that homing pigeon, in a matter of days, weeks, months, sometimes years, they've been known to return home in years, will end up going back to its home. Negative impressions are like that. They will go there. Well, how do impressions get negative? Impressions out there are not negative, unless they are. We have the power to take a negative impression and transform it, but we can only transform it in the intellectual part of the intellectual center with attention, directed attention, and mental effort. But in order to direct your attention with mental effort, you have to have force. But this is our catch-22. The force is all leaked out through these negative emotions. So what do we do? Well, that's what we're talking about. If you freely dislike someone, Impressions taken in will feed the negative emotional part of you, storing energy for later discharge that will be triggered by some small, possibly unrelated event. Well, what does it mean to freely dislike someone? It means to just freely dislike them, to just take the line of least resistance. I don't like him. It means not bringing up any work idea, not making any effort whatsoever, not trying to direct your attention to a work idea concerning this person. Well, why do you dislike this person? Other people like this person. So here's an idea. Other people like this person. Why do I dislike this person? Well, well, other people just don't know them the way I do. Well, this person treats me worse than they treat everybody else. Blah, blah, blah. Instead of justifying our negative, stupid, default position, why not make a little mental effort, direct your attention to look at this person in a new way and try and see something about the person that you can like? That would be not freely disliking a person, freely allowing negative impressions to come in. Because when you freely dislike someone, trust me, negative impressions, no matter what they do, you you're going to turn it into a negative impression. Why? Because you freely dislike them. Because you have abandoned all attention, all effort, all consciousness, and you have allowed the line of least resistance to grow wide and well-traveled. Negative impressions from films, books, gossip, all feed the negative part 
of the emotional part of us if we identify. It's only if we identify. But we do identify because we don't have force to direct our attention. It's so difficult to direct our attention. You know when you're doing something that is harmful to you, that is against the work. Being negative is against the work, which means it's against you. But you don't know that because you don't know who you are. You think that it's really for you. Because when you think that you're some small eye, then you think being negative is for you. You think it's something in your defense, that it's your strength. But it's not at all because who you really are is then being covered over, smothered by these little negative mechanical eyes. The remedy is learn to take impressions more consciously without identifying with negative impressions. It's a form of self-remembering that draws energy. And the energy that it gets, it draws right out of the negative impression. So you know that anything you do has to use force. It has to use energy. There has to be energy for anything you do. So if you're going to be negative, then that energy, that force to be negative has to come from somewhere. Well, if you're going to be positive, if you're going to direct your attention and make right effort, then that force has to come from somewhere. Now, the negative impressions, negative emotions will take force from anywhere. So you can have a very positive impression, but if you freely dislike the person, even if they're positive towards you, oh, I'm so sorry for what I said to you the other day, and will you please forgive me? No, I won't forgive give you. You don't really mean it. Do you see how you can take a positive thing and turn it negative? You're taking positive force and using it for something negative. But it works the other way too. You can take something negative, draw the energy out of it and use it for something positive. That's the remedy. It's a form of self-remembering, drawing energy that it uses out of the negative impression. So you remember yourself by drawing the energy from the negative emotion, from the negative impression. So you draw it out of that and you use it for something positive. People imagine that when they're alone, they can indulge in negative thoughts without any effect because nobody's looking. It's like sneak eaters. You think that if nobody's looking, it's okay to eat like a pig. First of all, it's okay to eat like a pig anyway. What you're really worried about is that other people may not see you the way you want them to see you. And the reason you think that is because when you see you that way, you're not proud of yourself. So you think they won't be. You've already made yourself wrong, so now you have to hide your wrongness from other people so that they will not make you wrong too. Thinking, probably rightly so, that all of the idiots in your life are just as stupid as you are. That they don't have the power to transform an impression. That they don't have the power to look at this unpleasant aspect of you and love you anyway. That they don't have the ability, that they don't have what it takes to pierce right through that and to go to some something important. But not everybody in life is like that. Just 99.9% of them are like that. But every once in a while, one in a thousand, maybe you'll find somebody who does have the ability to pierce through you. And a person like that is, is the pearl of great price. Go and sell everything you have. Get that person. If you have to get rid of all the other people in your life, get rid of them and get that person in your life. Unfortunately, that's not what we do because we would have to value the pearl of great price. And unfortunately, it's just a big rock in our way to us. We don't know what it is. And not only that, but it hurts. We know that the grain of sand causes the oyster great pain. No pearls for us, thank you. Too much pain. So this work says, yes, but there's a, a certain kind of suffering that is useful and necessary. You have to do it if you wish to develop. Remember, it's all predicated on if you wish to develop. People imagine, like I said, they imagine that when they're alone, they can indulge in all these negative thoughts. This increases material for negative emotions, which will rush forth attacking and hurting someone when least expected. See, this is what people don't understand. They do not understand what negative emotions do, what they want. Negative emotions always want to hurt people. Always. 
Now, the reason we don't understand this is because we justify it. We justify hurting people with, well, they hurt me. They deserve this. It's only fair. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We justify it. Or here's another one. This is a good one. Well, maybe this will teach them a lesson. We get altruistic and magnanimous. Maybe this will teach them a lesson. If I hurt you now, it's going to teach you a lesson and you're going to learn and it's going to be better for you. So this is good pain. This is the useful kind of suffering that you need, the kind that I inflict on you. That's not the useful, necessary suffering that the work talks about. That's not it. That's just more self-justification for our own negative emotions. If I'm hitting too close to home, just tune me out for a minute and come back when the pain subsides. I understand. Trust me, I do understand this. I understand that when you're looking at yourself, it can be very painful. That when you see what you are like, it can bring tears to your eyes. It can really smart. And if it gets to be too much, just tune out for a minute and come back when you can. But do come back because there is really a remedy for this. And I'll save it toward the end. But... All negative emotions want to hurt because at their root are unlimited forms of violence. I've told you that negative emotions lead to violence. Unconsciousness leads to violence. Misunderstanding, not understanding, leads to violence. And it's all for the same reason. Because at the root of negative emotions is violence. All forms of violence. All kinds of violence. Violence that you don't even want to think about. And you won't think about it. You'll just do it and then justify it later. Making accounts against others stores up material to make negative emotions which will attack you if they can't find someone else. Let me get this really clear in your mind. Let me get this set in your mind. Negative emotions store up energy in negative parts of centers, in negative parts of you. Let's just say that because centers, it's ambiguous for us. You know, you can't find any centers in your body really. Well, where are the centers? And people go looking for centers in their body. Center is just a way of saying, it's like a ganglionic nerve center. It's just this ganglion, it's this, what do they call those things where streets come together? Intersection. It's this intersection where there's a lot of traffic. And that's what we mean by centers. It's an intersection where there's a lot of traffic, a lot of impressions coming and going, a lot of things happening there. It's busy, 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 busy. Everything has to run through here to get to somewhere else. But it's that's where we have, if we can put in a light there, a stoplight there, we can have some control. That's where we start, is in these centers where there's all this activity. So that's how this whole center thing came about. Now, did it really come about that way? I don't know. Mr. Gurdjieff never told me. But that's what I say. So put that in your pipe and smoke it or whatever, you know. I hate to go on having to justify everything I say because some people can't understand anything. And I can't stop for that person, for the people who can't understand everything or so many things. I can't stop every two words and explain everything because then we'd never get anywhere. So there's some things you just have to suck it up and move on. And this is where real faith comes in. You've got to believe that there is something higher if you're going to reach for it, even though you can't see it and you can't get your finger on it right now. There is something higher. There is a possibility of your development. There is something you could be other than what you are. If you can't believe that, you have no business here. And as we have found, there are some people who have no business here. And that's the way that is. What we're discussing is that negative impressions charge up. They bring energy to negative parts of us. And just like there's a a positive part of us, there's a negative part. Just like there's a head to the coin, there's a tail to the coin. So everything has its opposite. To every front, there's a back. So there is a negative part of each part of us. And there are many different parts of us. And now we say parts is parts, and parts is parts, until you begin to examine them. When you begin examining them, you can break them up into two categories, positive and negative. Then you examine them further, and you can break them up further. You can break up a man into 
a thinking part, a feeling part, and a moving part. So then you could break each one of those parts into positive and negative. So now, instead of having three, you have six. And then you can take, let's take the thinking part, which is what we're talking about this morning, the intellectual center. So this intersection where all of these things are coming through and coming together, the intellectual part. And you can break that up into three parts. First, you break it into two parts, positive and negative. Then you can break it up into three parts, an intellectual part, a thinking part, a feeling part, and a moving part. And each one of those parts can be a positive, can be positive and negative. I don't want to get you confused. I just want you to understand that parts is parts until you start to look at them and start to distinguish that this part is different from that part. And when you can see the difference, even though it's a small difference, just after Christmas, did anybody have anything to put together? No. We're all too old for that. Our kids are all grown. We don't have bicycles and toys to put together for them now around Christmas. So we're not following a lot of instructions. And you probably have all your barbecue grills and all the other things that you have already. So you don't have any of that. That's the thing about people our age. You know, we've got so much stuff, you know, we're not adding stuff to it so much anymore. But remember the days when you used to get things and you had to put them together and they'd have all these screws and all these. Well, they actually started putting pictures of the things there because one screw looked like another screw and one bolt looked like another bolt. There was a different thread and a different nut and a different this and a different that and a different washer. So they had little pictures and you could put them on there and you'd find them all and you'd get them in piles. And then you knew that this went with this and this went with this. But when you looked at them all together, parts is parts. When you open that bag and you saw all those parts, it's like, ah, parts is parts. But when you start to distinguish and delineate between them, you see that this is this and this is that, and they have these slight differences. Okay, take all of the bolts and put them over here. Take all of the screws and put them over here. What's the difference between a bolt and a screw? They look alike to me. Look harder. The bolts have hexagonal heads. The screws have little heads with an indentation and either a Phillips head or a slot. Oh, okay, now I see the difference. Fine, I'll put them in different sections. So that's really what we're doing. We're doing this so that we can start to put ourselves together in our own minds, so that we can start to understand ourselves. Because if you can't understand yourself, how can you possibly control yourself? How can you control what you can't understand? How can you control your car without a steering wheel? Now, I know a lot of people just grab hold of the rearview mirror and they look at it and they switch it around to anything they want to see. They say, that's where I'm going, that's where I'm going. But it really doesn't get you anywhere. It's not a way to drive a car. Don't drive your car with your hands on the rearview mirror. Put your hands on the steering wheel. That's the best way. And direct the car with the steering wheel rather than directing where you think you're going or where you're looking with the rearview mirror. And see, in life, by default, we have the rearview mirror in our hand and we're moving it around at what we want to look at and saying, well, that's where I want to go. But if you learn how to drive, if you take driving lessons, they'll teach you to put your hand on the steering wheel. They'll teach you to turn the in the direction you wish to go and to look through the windshield or to look out the sides or to look in the rearview mirror to see what's behind you, but not put your hands on the rearview mirror. All of these things are to help you to make this real for you, to make this a part of your life. And these things that tie it into life help us to remember the work in life and thereby exercise ourselves in life, in the events of life. The ordinary events of life is the only place that this work can be done. Otherwise, it's all done in the imagination. So if you can do it when you're driving your car, so if you can look at the rearview mirror when you're adjusting the rearview mirror and remember what I've said and laugh to yourself, and that brings up a work idea, and you can remember that turning the rearview mirror to drive and looking in the rearview mirror and turning it to change the view is not getting you anywhere. But that is how we operate by default. If you can see that that represents imagination, then you've got something. If you can see that putting your hands on the steering wheel means you can have some control in your own life if you're willing to direct your attention, if you're willing to make the effort, you can do that. These things will help you, which is why I use them. And they just pop into my head while I'm talking too. That's also why. Don't consent to negative impressions. Well, yeah, easy for you to say. 
how? Be awake enough to keep them from automatically homing to the negative part of our emotional center. They automatically will go to the negative parts. If you're awake enough, you won't let that happen. So here we have the emotional part. The emotional part, the desire to know and understand, the pleasure of discovery. But now the emotional part of the intellectual center also has a negative part. We're talking about the negative part, obviously. It's the part where things go mechanically. It doesn't take any effort for them to get there. That's where they're going to end up. It's the catch-all. In the diagram, it really should be huge, and the other should be just a sliver. But because I want to focus on the parts that we need to be focusing on, I have made them larger. In reality, they are tiny for us. Take dish antennas, for example. You have a dish antenna, and one is the size of a football field. That collects a lot of stuff. And the other one's the size of a bottle cap. That doesn't collect as much. Which one do you think is the negative one? You're right. It's the one as big as a football field. That's the one that collects negative impressions. And the one that collects impressions consciously with attention and effort is the size of a bottle cap. And it's usually in our pocket. Every once in a while, we bring it out show it something. But mostly, it never even gets to see the light of day. It lives in the shadow of the big football field collector. And that's what it's like for us. And until we can begin to see that, really see that for ourselves, about ourselves, we're working in the dark. All right, wake up. I know this is hard. I mean, I know this is difficult. It's difficult to stay with this, but keep making effort. Keep trying. You have no reason to go to sleep yet. I haven't hurt your feelings. Uncontrolled imagination is a big source of negative emotions. We daydream in soap operas. Have you ever noticed your daydreams are always soap operas? They're not real life. They're soap operas. Everything is oh, bigger than life. Oh, this happened. Oh, that happened. Your daydreams are horrible. One way or another, even if they're positive, they're horrible. Because they set you up for expectations and requirements that you have no business making, either on yourself or other people. And if they're negative, then you have no business wallowing around in that trash. What we need is a good filter that stops the poisonous seeds of negative emotions. But we don't have a good filter, so we have to build one. Well, can't I just buy one ready-made? No, you have to build one. It's the only way. If you buy one ready-made, it won't work for long. The ready-made filters, they fall apart after one use. The one you make yourself is sturdy and it really works. So you must make your own. Don't go buy somebody else's. We talked last week about imitating someone else. That's buying someone else's filter. It may work or it may appear to work momentarily, but it doesn't really work that well and it will fall apart quickly. And when it does, then it will contaminate all the parts that it falls apart into will contaminate. So you end up worse off than you were. So make your own filter. Impressions coming from outer life, people, news, wherever, coming through the senses, can be directed away from the internal sore spots that we have. What are the internal sore spots? The smile tells me that you've thought of one or two or a couple. Then as long as you can identify some of your own internal sore spots, that's all you need right now. So they don't have to fall there. If developed, we have the power to consciously direct impressions to new places in ourselves. Most new places in ourselves are rarely ever used. It's like fresh snow. There's not a footprint in. And if you go up into the mountains, you'll see that there are acres and acres and acres and miles and miles of fresh snow that have never been walked in. But you'll see that people walk around the building and the, the snow gets all dirty there and matted down. And, but out there, it's all fresh snow. That's the way it is for us. The intersections is where, where there's no fresh snow because there's so much going on there. But away from the intersections, there's fresh snow. We can direct impressions away from the places where they usually go to other places. That's a great thing. The fact that we can direct impressions to different places than they normally go is the hope, is the possibility of our internal development. It's the possibility of change. It's the possibility of change of being, of transformation. That is what makes it possible. The fact that with attention, with effort, we can do that. One who lives completely in the mechanical parts can't change his being. 
Self-observation is never mechanical. It requires directed attention. Act of directed attention puts us into more conscious parts of ourselves. Full self-remembering, of course, requires full consciousness. This is why we don't do full self-remembering. We do partial self-remembering. We can remember ourselves for a flash. We can remember ourselves a little bit for a little while. But then it's gone. We lack consciousness. We don't have what it takes. But it can be developed. And that's what we're about doing is developing it. We need to know what to look at. If you see a plane in the sky and you wish for someone you're with to see the plane in the sky, what do you do? First, you tell them to look at the plane in the sky. But then if they don't see it, you point. You point and direct them where to look. This work directs us where to look for something that we may or may not find. Yes, there's a chance that the person would just see the plane in the sky. Do you really want to take that chance? Mechanical parts don't require attention. Mechanical parts can't adapt themselves to change of events continuing to work in the way that they started to work. If a train is moving down the track at 60 miles an hour, according to the laws of physics, it will continue to move down the track because of inertia. Unless something stops it, it's going to continue to roll until it comes to rest when it finally runs out of inertial force. But if it has, still has a power source, it won't run out of inertial force because the inertia is continually being created. So unless something stops it, it will continue. You will continue in your mechanical default pattern unless you do something to change it. But aren't we all going to go to heaven when we die? No. Well, I don't like you anymore. Bye. You know, it's like, no, it just doesn't happen that way. That's not the way the universe is made up. We're on the fast track to hell. What does that mean? We are mechanical. We are unconscious by default. That's the way we will stay unless we do something about it. You're not going to magically turn into something else. It's going to take effort on your part. Does that mean there'll be no help from anywhere else? No, it just means it's going to take effort on your part. Like the alphabet, we recite it from A to Z, very often not knowing which letter's next without recitation. What comes after some letter? And then you go, A, B, C, D, E, G, W, G. I learned the alphabet that way, so that's the way I do that. I have to, sometimes I can close my eyes and picture the alphabet and see which letter comes before and after. But many times what I have to do is recite it because that triggers the mechanical part of the center that learned it because it's long since left any conscious parts of centers. I may have directed my attention and stored it in the mechanical part and that's the place for it. That's the place for the alphabet in the mechanical parts. But that little I that knows the alphabet has no business running my life. Unfortunately, in our case, by default, those little eyes are running our life. The ones who recite, the ones who have these quick answers, those are the ones who run our lives. There's a part in the moving part of us that replies to questions. There's an intellectual part of the moving part, there's an emotional part of the moving part, and there's a moving part of the moving part. It registers associations, impressions, and memories. Now, do you understand that in the intellectual, this intellectual part, that this is all, the whole thing is the intellectual part. But as we break it down, see, the whole thing is the bag of nuts and bolts and screws and little pieces that comes that you're supposed to use to put together. So you have this whole bag, and that's the intellectual. We'll call that the intellectual center. Then you'll have this whole other bag of parts, and that's the emotional center. Then you have this whole other bag of parts, and that's the instinctive moving center. And inside of each one of those big bags are some other bags, and there are parts inside of there. So parts is parts until you start to identify them and lay them out and know which goes where. You're not going to know how to work your machine, your being, yourself, until you know which parts are which and where to direct what. 
And you won't know that just by sitting on your laurels and living life the way you've always lived it because you live life by default. You live life asleep, unconscious, mechanical, automatic, doing everything the same way you've always done it. And rarely something changes and you think you've changed it when actually you're just reacting to a different stimulus in a different way. This part of us, the mechanical part of the intellect that registers associations, impressions, and memories, that's what it's for. That's what it should do. It's like a tape recorder. So I have this tape recorder here, and I'm recording what I'm saying, and that's fine. But did you ever see the movie True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis? And there's a scene in there where he's playing this guy in a hotel room, and she's doing this dance, and he's got a little tape recorder, and she comes in and says something, and he because he can't use his own voice because it's really his wife, and, and he's sitting in the shadows. He doesn't want her to recognize him. He plays the recording, some pre-recorded voice in some French accent that says to do this or to do that. It's absurd, isn't it, to have the tape recorder answer for you. So somebody comes and asks you a question, and you pull out your tape recorder, and you go click, and you point it in a direction, click, and, and that answers for you. And you don't know what's going to come up. And that's the whole thing. It's hilarious because she says one thing, but he plays something else, and it starts to go, the whole thing starts to get, she goes, what? Oh, and she starts to do these weird things. And that's exactly what our lives are like. We're allowing this little, this little mechanical part of us, this little unconscious part of us that's only supposed to be recording things, recording memories, recording impressions, recording all these things and storing them. But we're letting that answer for us. So somebody comes to us, they ask us a question, and the, the recorder automatically just goes off and starts answering. And we don't stop it because we don't know. Or we hang our head in shame going, oh God, why did I say that? Has this never happened to you? Am I the only one on the planet? Now that's what I'm talking about. I'm putting it in these ridiculous terms because you need to see that this is how we actually do operate. This part of us, this moving part of this mechanical part of the intellectual center is doing that. Its job is to simply register the associations, impressions, and memories. That's all. And that's all it should do. And it's fine when it's doing that. Unfortunately, it replies to questions and decides things of which it knows nothing. It replies in ready-made phrases, slang. Maxims. We call this part the formatory apparatus. In the intellectual center, in the moving part, we call this part the formatory apparatus. It is mechanical. It is by default unconscious. And it just responds. And you'll hear it with things like somebody will say something and it will say some line from a movie. It will say some line from a book. It will say something it heard someone else say. It doesn't take any attention. It doesn't take any thought. It just happens. It just comes out like a recorder switch that was accidentally tripped and it comes out. The thing is, we, as a rule, we think this can be very funny. Comics do this. Comedians do this. And we go and pay them money to do it, to go and just let their recorder go. And we laugh, we sit and laugh, and we think it's funny. Informatory apparatus, three functions can be observed. Purely automatic, that's the repetition of words heard or read. So you've heard this in a movie, and you'll hear someone say, I and I, because they heard that in a movie, or you'll heard... Uh, Everybody won't go heaven, nobody want dead, because they heard that in a movie. And that just automatically plays. And what triggers it? Somebody says something, and it's triggered, and it starts to play. The recorder starts to play. What triggers it? Play switch. It just, it's in your pocket, and you sit down in a certain way, and it starts to play. And you move, and it stops. And then you move again, and it plays. And it plays something else. And it plays randomly, just these random things. So that's what our lives are like. And we call that conversations with people. <laughs> Which, of course, conversations with people lead to entanglements and arguments and misunderstandings. And now you know why. Because what is conversing is simply this mechanical part of us. 
So we have the purely automatic, the repetition of words that are heard or read. Then we have the auto-emotional. I call it the auto-emotional. It's automatically emotional. Curiosity, inquisitiveness, unruly imagination. What's unruly imagination? Yes, that, the one that you have. That's an unruly imagination. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> curiosity, inquisitiveness. What do they say of curiosity? Curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity, look at the curi- look at the trouble curiosity's gotten you into. But curiosity is a good thing, not when it's mechanical. Imagination is a good thing, not when it is by default unconscious, unruly. Inquisitiveness is a good thing, not when it's automatic. So you have the auto-emotional, the auto-mental, the auto-moving, uh, and the auto-intellectual. The auto-intellectual is shrewdness, craftiness, and cautiousness highly valued in our society, especially in the business world. So imagine how difficult it is to go, it's going to be to get out of that if you're successful in the world. It makes it even more difficult to get out of it because now you're worshiping at its altar. Now you need it because it is your salvation. It is your savior. It is what has brought you all the money, the fame, the fortune, and all the wonderful things that people seek in life. Man number one may live his entire life right here in this spot, never touching other parts of the intellectual part. And for receiving A influences, for living in life, the formatory apparatus is all that's needed. You never have to get into anything else. It is sufficient for life. So that's how we stay automatic. The emotional part of the intellect consists of intellectual emotions like the desire to know, to understand, the satisfaction of knowing, dissatisfaction of not knowing, pleasure of discovery. There's attention that's needed for this part to function. The attention that's needed only needs to be attracted attention. It doesn't have to be directed attention. So now I'm going to distinguish between different kinds of attention. We all know that we can go to the movies and have great attention. We all know that we can be reading a book and have great attention, especially if it's a a romance novel or some, some novel that we really want to read. It grabs our attention, it attracts our attention, and it holds our attention. You have a movie or a television program, it holds your attention. Psychologists have made millions of dollars fueling the advertising industry, telling the advertising industry how we work psychologically so that they can exploit our psychological weaknesses and attract our attention in commercials and hold our attention in commercials. I will sometimes, people come over to visit me, I will turn the television on and leave it on and leave the volume up and talk to them just to see if I can get their attention away from the television. And I will be talking to them and their eyes will be glued on the television. And sometimes I'll have to say things two or three times. And sometimes I'll have to say to them, would you like me to turn that down? No, no, that's all right. No, that's okay. They know it's a test or they're so addicted to what they're doing, they can't turn it off. And it's like, I know it's kind of a sneaky thing to do, but you have to be sly and sneaky in this work if you're going to progress because the forces against us are so strong, so overwhelming. Herod's army is huge compared to this little child who's just been born. And when he goes to slaughter, he knows what he's doing. He sends his soldiers out. They know what to do. So there's these two different kinds of attention. Attracted attention is when the subject holds your attention. Directed attention is when your will directs your attention, when your attention is being directed by a mental effort made on your part. The intellectual part of the intellect includes the capacity for creation, construction, invention, and discovery. It must be controlled. It has to be directed attention in order to work. It needs will and effort, your direction, your desire. We observe attention or the lack of attention to see what part we're in. So how do you know what part you're in? Observe what kind of attention you have. 
Is it attention that's taking effort, that you really have to keep bringing yourself back, as in meditation, watching your breath, knowing whether it's an incoming breath or an outgoing breath, knowing whether it's the left nostril or the right nostril where more breath is coming through, being able to sense the coolness when you breathe in and the warmth when you breathe out on your nostrils, the rings around your nostrils or on your upper lip. That's directed attention. You know how long you can do that. So you know how long you can make that effort. So you know how much gas you got in your tank. Because when that gas runs out, you're out of gas and you can't direct your attention anymore. Is that true? Okay, that's directed attention. Now, how much attention do you have when you're watching a movie? People come in and talk to you. They call your name. They ask you, the house is burning down. Dinner's ready. Can I get you a beer? Oh, yeah, sure. Get me a beer. See what I mean? That kind of attention is not directed by us. It's held by the subject. So that's how we discover what part we're in. If the attention is being held by the subject, are you in a part where you're more conscious? No. So then you know you're in a mechanical part. No attention or wandering attention tells us we're in a mechanical part. But you see, attention that the subject is holding, we have chosen the subject. We chose to watch the movie. We ultimately do have the power to turn it off. But purely, strictly mechanical, no attention or wandering attention, we're asleep. When the attention is attracted by the subject, we're in the emotional part. And with the attention kept on the subject by our own will, we're in the intellectual part. By studying our attention, trying to control it, we make ourselves work in higher parts. If you pay attention to, if you study your, where your attention is, because you're making effort and bringing will and attention to bear on yourself, on your usual default functioning, you're forcing yourself into higher parts. If you're in higher parts, you're moving in the direction that you want to move in. We don't want to keep going with the natural flow of our default unconsciousness. We want to make the effort to reach higher parts. It's only in the higher parts of centers that we can receive influences from higher centers, which we haven't even touched yet. That's what we're doing. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.